0: my silences had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. But for every real word spoken, for every attempt I had ever made to speak those truths for which I am still seeking, I had made contact with other women while we examined the words to fit a world in which we all believed, bridging our differences. Audrey Lord, I've sat with this quote, A lot these past few months while I try to make sense of these past few years of my life and growing up we were encouraged to dim the parts of ourselves that stood out to silence ourselves and I don't begrudge my parents for this at all it was their way of protecting us but as I grew older That silence went against every part of me. It manifested into anxiety, depression, feelings of isolation. And so as I move forward with these episodes, they're not going to be perfect. (laughs) There's going to be editing errors. They're going to come out on sporadic schedules but I will not silence myself. And if you're tuning in and you're here, ready to do the work, continue the work with me, Good on you. And if that's the best we can do, that's the best we can do. So let us continue to be patient with ourselves and others. Because at times like this, it's easy to stop, and we must always remember that our silence will not protect us.
1: My name is Satone Douglas, and I am a second-year medical student. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, to a Jamaican mother and a Nigerian father. Okay, cool. And so I just wanted to um, kind of just get everybody
2: acquainted with, get into what um, inspired, I just read your Forbes article, and I, I got a really, I, I absolutely loved it. I reread it, and I was telling my friend about it. I really enjoyed it. But if you could just, you know, give us an idea, what, what inspired you to pursue medicine,
1: Sure. So when I was super young, I always had this um, interest or passion. And I would always say anytime anyone asked me what I wanted to be, I would always say I wanted to be a doctor. Um, And it was just like an instinct kind of. Even then, like I didn't know where it came from, but it was just like that's what was fascinating to me. I think as I grew older, I started loving science, and I also started loving art. And then I started seeing connections between science and art and medicine. And I think those connections and those memories, they kind of were the beginning of this passion to continue fighting, like to become this, you know, physician. It was something that I, at times, I would think, maybe it wouldn't happen because of just the rigor and some of the setbacks, but I, I, that's why I called it an instinct because I just had this feeling of like, it's going to happen. Maybe, maybe it's not gonna happen exactly how you expected it, but it will. So that's just kind of always been one of the driving forces between like behind what keeps me going.
2: You, you discussed how mentors, when we were giving some advice, how mentorship was really key. And I couldn't agree more with that. I think even because I, I would like to pursue medicine as well. And um, something that's always pulled me back, though, has been, I don't like the kind of the politics, right, of medicine. There's, I just don't want to have to be in that. I had like perception of it being an environment that wouldn't accept me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or they'd be like, oh, you know, she just got here. Here's this black. There's this black girl. She just is here because of this, or here she's here because of this. You know, she got this scholarship or whatever. And I just really wasn't feeling that. And then also, you have these these mentors who maybe shouldn't be your mentors, deterring you. And so the second I found mentors who were like really rooting for me, I guess, and not you know, and 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 kind of knew that there's there's not one set path to medicine, which. There, because it's painted as if there's like this, like straight bachelors in biology, this this, and this, and it's like, well, um, that's not how that's not how it goes for a lot of people. And you know, once I found those mentors who were like, "Mm, you can do whatever you you know, and that was like that was so key. And it really, I wanted to highlight that from your article. Just I really loved it.
1: Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And I yeah, mentorship is something that is extremely important to me. Um, Because I feel like, one, I've always wanted to be the mentor that I wish that I had. And I think having mentors can literally change the trajectory of someone's life. Having that person to say like, hey, don't, you know, don't consider doing this because I did this and it set me back and I don't want to see you go through the same thing. And I think having that transparency and having that honest conversation with someone, um, even if you don't take the advice, it still puts things in perspective. So I think that's just super important.
2: Absolutely. And I love, I love that pay it forward mentality that you have too, just because it's, it's really interesting that there's, there seems like there was always like a wall between, between, basically accessing these people and I feel like when I mean I grew up in a lower socioeconomic community so we didn't have access to these types of mentors they it just wasn't something that we had like you said like now I'm like we got to I got to be more in the community I got to be at the more of the community level and and be that person that I wish I wish we would have had at that age that it's just like no you can pursue this like you can do this you know you can take this route you can do this route even the physical therapy applications right like they require so many hours of shadowing and i remember when i was first looking into it i was like what like how do you even like and i was trying to get those gigs but they were like there weren't many in that area and i couldn't get the transportation to get there like it was going to be like five hours on the bus and i remember the people that actually got into the program they're like oh my dad my dad knew somebody or <laughs> my mom knew she worked it." and i'm like that that's how it's connect it's connections it's networks and i think if we can be that mentor it place ourselves in that in that area where we can be that mentor and be that connection for them that just opens the door so much more for those for the youth
1: <laughs> <laughs> right Absolutely. Like and, and- Sometimes it comes down to resources and that's why it's so important to me um and it's a it's a it's become a passion of mine sharing resources and giving people information disseminating information and making sure that people are connected and that they know that like you don't have to go through what I went through or you don't have to go through what a lot of other people have gone through there are resources there are multiple opportunities to adjust and um, figure things out in a way that will work for you. That's just, you know, that's why it's so, it's so important to me because I feel like so many of us give up and it's, it's unfortunate because, and as we'll get into a little bit later, there's not a lot of us, you know, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of us that are going into these fields And the only way to change that there, I mean, there's many, there's many things that need to happen, but at least one is that um, we have to be supported so that we can make it to that finish goal, to that end goal and basically have a chance and have a real solid opportunity.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you also mentioned in there, I'm gonna have to just link your article <laughs> in, in this episode because if you don't mind, because it was like I was like, yes, on point. But just the imposter syndrome, I think that can help if you have the right, you know, support. That can help that can help you deal with that, that feeling that way and feeling out of place because it's all about like your support networks and your systems and your support systems, right? So I don't know. It's, it's again, like even not even in the academic field, but in like the professional field, sometimes I, I get that imposter syndrome. Am, am, this, am, I, do I, can I, am I competent enough to do this? Like, can I should I be in here right now? Is this cool? Like with these people's lives, you know? So if you don't mind uh, telling us, telling the listeners, have you yourself had any experiences in medical school with just for example, I know when I worked at a previous hospital, there were patients that refused the care of a black medical student. And the, the institution handled it well, but uh, I know other institutions don't handle it well. And then the um, training physician is kind of just like, get over it, like, you, you know, and it's not very, they're kind of, I don't know, I, I, I don't care for, you know, it depends on the reaction. So have,
1: have you had any experiences like that or has it been like, chill? So my institution, we have clinical experience in our first two years and the way it's shaped is about four hours a week we see patients, which is really nice because you're kind of getting um, that experience before your clinical years. And I guess I should explain that a little bit better. I'm sorry. So uh, the way medical school is kind of structured is your first two years or your preclinical years where you're basically in the classroom, you're... Learning like the basics of uh, medicine, the things that, you know, different diseases, you're learning about what a normal, healthy body is, and then all the different things that can go wrong as well. And you're also in anatomy lab at that time, and you're really just learning the human body and learning the, the basics that you need. And then your last two years are spent rotating. um, Well, your third year is spent rotating in different specialties. um, And there are some core specialties that everyone has to rotate in. And then you can do special um, like electives. And basically what those look like are, it's maybe about, It it varies, but the timing kind of equals out to be the same. So you spend about six weeks or so in this specialty, learning the ins and outs. And it allows you to kind of decide, like, is this a fit for me? But it also allows you to learn about that specialty and to see how that specialty works. Because even if it's not your specialty, then you kind of have the information that you need when you have to interact with that specialty in the future so that's third year and then fourth year is a little bit of that but it's a little bit of also getting ready to graduate and to interview and to work so the first two years at my institution we are lucky and blessed that we have the opportunity to spend four hours a week seeing patients because not all schools do that in my experiences so far with patients i have not had at least in medical school i have not had um, an experience where someone has, like, refused care or or said anything to me. But I've heard stories, of course, and it's unfortunate because especially with everything that's going on in today's society and today's world, it's it's hard to know that people still kind of have some of these ideas and ideals, but we see it, right? Like, this is something that we are currently dealing with in this country. So mm-hmm we know that it's it's still happening and that people still feel that way. And it's kind of just one of those things that you have to decide how you want to navigate it independently. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've heard from people who have dealt with it, because every situation is different. And the person that might be in charge, as you said, they may be very stern about it and say like, no, no, this isn't right. Or they may be more lax and they may say like, well, maybe you're interpreting it the wrong way. So it's definitely um, something that you kind of have to decide for yourself, like, how am I going to approach these situations when they happen? And it's hard because this is your career. This is something that you're passionate about and you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're jeopardizing something that you've worked so hard and long for. But yeah, luckily enough for me so far, I have not had um, an experience that has been in that uh, matter, but I, I have had other experiences that have been the complete opposite and just experiences that have showed me that, you know, like, This is what you're supposed to be doing. Again, I'm so grateful because even for those patients, medical students like being being open to having a medical student. You're saying like, I'm 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 letting you like learn (laughs) with me, you know. And that's a big that's a big it's a big it's a big commitment. It's a big choice, and it's not something that I take lightly. And I believe that those experiences they're going to stay with me throughout my journey and even, like, into, um, into my practice when I, when I do graduate and actually begin practicing, like, I feel like these memories and these experiences will definitely still impact me. So, yeah, I haven't had those experiences just yet. (laughs) I, you know, I had a check. I'm trying to get that intel, (laughs) like, you know, like, so is it. So,
2: you know, I think it's good to just kind of get different, different experiences, right? Like, and also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the, the deets on that school year because I know the biggest the biggest gripe I've heard from medical students is they're like, we can't get our paws on anybody. Like we can't, we can't, they don't want us to touch anybody until mm-hmm. third year. Like that's always a thing that they're so like agitated about. And I, I really like your school's principal where it's like, because it helps you get more comfortable because it's kind of, I mean, I've, I watch those blogs. I watch those med- <laughs> medical student blogs on on uh, YouTube and I'm like, and see them doing like prepping for their patient interviews. And it's like, so, you know, they're like stressed out. And I mean, it's a lot of prep involved. And I'm like, it would be really cool if there's like, you know, before not saving it. I I, I like the, the doing, it. I like doing it first. I like that format. I think it's cool
1: important to me to have a school that gave you early clinical experiences when I was looking for medical school. So that was one of the um, things on my pros list that I looked for in every school that I was interested in. Do you have an early clinical experience? Because I didn't want to be the medical student that went into third year for the first time and saw a real patient for the first time. And I was kind of like uh, you know like (laughs) it's it's nerve-wracking even my first interaction with um my first patient I'll never I actually still remember it very well um and I'm at a community health center so um we definitely do see patients that um are sicker or just not as well managed Mm. and it's hard it's hard to have some of those conversations because people are um they're struggling they're in unique situations maybe issues with like insurance and stuff like that that first interaction i was so nervous but she was so nice and that's why i think like you know I, i i really didn't want that to be me in third year with like this interaction for the first time and i'm like you know, like, this is, there's so much on this, and this is, you know, it's just, like, a lot. So I'm, like, I'm very happy that I have this, this, like, early experience. I think that's a
2: perfect introduction, and I just want to go right into, go right into it, right? Now. Like, this, we we got to talk about this, just because it, I think it's something really that hits very close to home for me. It might hit close, close to home for you as well, just from ex- really traumatic experiences in, um, in in medicines. And just a little background for listeners. I was diagnosed with a neurological disease um, and I went completely blind. And, you know, it it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was intense. And from start to finish, the care that I received and the treatment I received was so, you know, it was hit or miss, but for the most part, it was, it was, it really revealed to me a lot of deficiencies I guess you'd say in medicine right and and it was very eye-opening for me and that's really kind of where I had like that light bulb go off and I was like I need to be in this I need to be in this field because I think that's where I can make the most difference because we have this unique very unique opportunity to advocate for something that we're experiencing and hopefully make those lasting changes and and people are already you know there's people pioneering it already and pioneering those changes and just from having that experience and and being told I think there's those biases that come up for being a woman (laughs) getting medical care in the U.S. and then you have them from being a black person and then you're a black woman also and then I had a triple whammy because I also am thick Um, so we had that that large BMI you You know I'm cute (laughs) y'all but but you know when you have that when you're larger too there's that there's that extra layer of and to be honest with you I'll just be 100 that for me was kind of what made it so I pushed going to see um, a doctor Mm -hmm. for my disease that turned out to be pretty bad, Um, (laughs) because I was like, I'm going to go in there and they're going to say, okay, let's put you on birth control. You're having, you're in this much pain. They're going to dismiss my pain, right? Like they're just very dismissive of the pain. Try to put you on birth control, link everything to my size, which it's probably linked. I won't deny that it's linked, but really not focusing on what I'm saying. Right. And then when I actually was getting treatment, now we now fast forward, I'm getting the care And you have these physicians saying when i'm like hey um i don't feel right like i i can't i can't think straight i'm having like i'm I'm having difficulty with my memory like can you do some tests and having that physician say it's all in your head that dismissiveness i think is so dangerous i mean and in that case, it was very dangerous, right? I, I demanded, and that's, that's you know, you have to advocate for yourself and be like, nope, you're gonna do these blood tests because this is what I want. But when you're in, in, in that much pain, it's really, really hard to advocate for yourself. That's something I learned along the way, like you have to, you really have to make make sure that you're, you're firm, you know, when they're saying that they're not gonna do your blood test or they're not gonna, you know, you have to just insist. And I'm not saying be a difficult patient, but it's your life and, it can turn out to be, it can be deadly. And so that dismissiveness and, and all the things linked with it, there's there's so, I mean, there's so many ways you can go with this. It's, it's, it's crazy. So let, let's get into that.
1: Absolutely. So I think one thing that a lot of people don't know, or maybe are not privy to is the idea that there is implicit bias in almost everything that we do <laughs> in life. Mm-hmm. And What that means is literally whatever situation you're in, there's always going to be someone who has a bias and that bias can impact that situation. Mm -hmm. So whether we're talking about medicine, whether we're talking about law, whether we're, you know, and then more specifically, whether we're talking about interactions with the police, whether we're talking about going in and applying for a loan at the bank, there's always implicit bias. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that in medicine is that you are literally taking care of someone's life. Mm-hmm. Okay? You took an oath to do no harm. You took an oath to treat patients in an efficacious manner and to treat patients in a way that they would be um, receiving the best quality of care. And the problem is implicit bias exists. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I wanted to start with and point out is that a few years ago, the proceedings of the Proceedings of the National Academies of Science, they did a study and um, this particular study or this specific statistic that I'm going to share is about pain. And they found that 40% of first and second year medical students endorsed the belief that Black people's skin is thicker than white people's. Now, this is a study that looked at not only medical students but also residents right and again these are people who are or who were at that time in training and but they didn't have it's not like these are it's not like this was a general um person who had no medical knowledge at all they have medical knowledge and i think that's what makes it so shocking because it's like you no anatomy right so there are things that you know to be true because you've learned them and to have this like idea that our skin is thicker like where does it how how did? where could that have come from and some of the other questions that were asked in that survey um do you believe that black people's blood can coagulate more quickly than white people and for anyone that doesn't know coagulation is basically just like blood's ability to kind of like um clump together right so can their like can their blood thicken up quicker and people answered yes to that um or do you believe that and then even and this was a smaller percentage out of everyone but some people answered yes to the idea that whites have larger brains than black people And again, these were medical students. These were people that are in training. And I think it's shocking because you would expect that you wouldn't, it's just, it's, I don't even really need to explain it that much. It's just a shocking thing to believe that people believe that. And why it bothers me and why why I I or why it impacts me so much is because coming from a lower socioeconomic status neighborhood and growing up and watching people suffer, watching people die from diseases that are preventable, diseases such as diabetes, just diabetes that was just completely unmanaged, or having people come into a, the ED, right, with blood pressures that are literally so high that you're like looking at the person like, how are you alive right now? Completely unmanaged, strokes, and just all these different conditions that are preventable. And a lot of the time, if you ask the person why they didn't come in sooner, it's because they know that the interaction with the medical field is not pleasant. And that's why this this things like this study it drives me to keep going because i know that if i make it to my end goal that will be one more person who does not have those beliefs about people in the field and i think the overall um the overall goal of many people of color that are currently in medical school is to enter the field and to make these changes and to to be more vocal and more involved and to eventually change some of these perceptions so that less people are dying because of just an avoidable a completely avoidable mistake Um, another thing i wanted to point out right now in the united states there are out of 38 million African-Americans, about less than 60,000 are doctors. So if we're trying to say that we want more African-American physicians or Black physicians so that we can appropriately, um, you know, appropriately have our needs met, we're so far off. 38 million and there's only 60,000 doctors like those numbers are completely insane and then according to the 2018 information from the AAMC because they do do this data on a regular basis to assess diversity in medicine five percent of all practicing physicians in the United States are black or African American five percent so that just goes to show you how drastically low those numbers are and this is not it's not a it's not an issue of we're not interested in going into the medical field. That's not it. Mm-hmm. I know people who and and my story as as shocking as my story is, it's not I'm 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 not I'm not a unicorn. This is this is common. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is a, a common thing that people of color, people from underrepresented communities they have to fight twice as hard. And that's why I'm just, I'm so passionate about trying to to improve this because it doesn't have, I feel like it doesn't have to be this way and it doesn't have to be this hard. And if people are better supported, as we said earlier, more of us would make it to this end goal. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I think something important that you said was like, um, you know you were like and and how, and where does this come from and it's like we can there's a long list but you know i was looking at um, a couple of reports and you know cuz some these things don't just come out of nowhere these people have you know especially cuz my background's in anthropology we had some you know these 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 they did love to do studies about brain size and all that eugenics all that type of that's all these these classical anthropologists who ha- had a lot of their i mean you know well we can just go ahead and say they were racist they had they were they were you know they had racist beliefs and and it really um, obviously biased their their research and so people the yellow fever epidemic in i think it was Philadelphia back in like the 1790s mm-hmm. um, it did for some reason it didn't affect the african american population as much. And so all the you know these writer they're 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 putting in their their papers, their publications that there's something in the, the in the negro uh, skin that or you know there's something with their their makeup that's making them immune to this fever and they have this and they have that. So they're basing you know so and this is just one little you know one little origin story of where some of this might come from but they're they're publishing these the way back when they published these articles and these this literature that we study, it, you know, I think it's changing, right? I think you know, in the medical field, they're trying to change and, and diverse, diversify the literature. But some of these older doctors, they got their education from these from these medical books that are, you know, and doing these types of studies, um, which is which is interesting to me anyway. Because a, a larger brain, just side note, not even important, but <laughs> but like a bigger brain would actually mean that you're, you know, that's energy and all of our earlier homo species were not but whatever let them do their research (laughs) let them let them make stuff up but yeah it's just and so I think that goes into the whole like needing to have of course these diverse uh, medical physicians and diversify the physicians but the research going into it I mean we just gotta we need to do something about that you know because because this is where this stuff's coming from and you know i think I, I didn't even look at it and shame on me but um i think there was a, a black male medical student who you might have seen this in the news where he he did like a was it an encyclopedia to show what different conditions look like <laughs> on brown skin i thought that was just like you know like you know how you're just like wow thank, like i appreciate it. <laughs> like can't believe we're doing this in 20 was it Maybe that was in 2019, 2020. Can't believe there's still a need to do this and that like, again, we are the ones who, you know what I mean? But I just
1: promised to hit. First it. off, the fact that he did that, absolutely amazing. And just to add to that, even now, a lot of the presentations or a lot of the pictures in the textbooks, they are Caucasian skin. Mm-hmm. Um, their skin their lighter colored skin like it's very rare to find um african-american skin in a, in the textbook and it's hard because one of the things i learned just this last like within the last few weeks in my last block of um of school is a rash can be the defining symptom that separates a, um, a presentation. So uh, when I say a presentation, I mean like you come into a ED, you're, you don't feel well, and you might have a fever, you might have some body aches and stuff like that. Having a rash can literally give you a diagnosis versus maybe just saying like, oh, we don't know what's going on. Let's run some more tests. Let's investigate some more. We're gonna keep trying, but we don't know what's going on. Being able to catch the rash can actually make the diagnosis and in a time sensitive diagnosis where you could end up passing away because you needed to get this treatment within the first 48 hours. That's very, it's, it's costly because they didn't know how to look for the rash. You know what I'm saying? Or they didn't know what the rash would look like on darker skin. So if you don't teach how it would look, on all skin types you could miss that presentation and and this is this just goes back to that idea of there is bias in almost everything mm-hmm. so when they were making the textbooks they it, it probably wasn't even a, a it was it obviously wasn't a priority you know it was just like let's get this information in there this is important um these are the models we're going to use and that's it and it's, it's super, super, um, just like astonishing that he was able to do that because it's something that even as medical students, we noticed from, we noticed from early and it's something that comes up a lot too. It's super important to be able to catch some of those symptoms. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just, (laughs) I mean, wasn't that dope though? You saw that
2: article and you, right? Like, did you like, my eyes lit up. I was like, yeah there he
1: goes
2: (laughs) yeah no i it come really what it it comes down to is like quality of care right like clearly we have not been receiving the same quality of care because we couldn't because literally like they couldn't it wasn't being you know in the education it wasn't being you know unless unless students are taking it upon themselves which i'm sure a lot of medical students have done you know where they take it upon themselves and, and learn on their own or when they're once they get their clinic experience and then they're like oh okay but it's like mm, it, you could have built from a, a stronger base of you know knowledge base built from a larger base from there so I always take it back to research but it's because it's something that I'm you know I'm in that field now and that's I'm really it's really been eye-opening for me because I wasn't really I guess when I was younger I didn't realize how I knew it was important, but I didn't realize how underrepresented Black black people were in research Mm -hmm. and minorities in general, right? Um, People of color in research, how underrepresented they are. And I mean, that really just translates at the end of the day that really just translates to lower quality of care. But it's hard because I'm like, do I blame us for not wanting to be as involved in research? Because you have the government trials in Tuskegee you have all, you know, the way we've been treated in research, you know, I, in my own family, we have family members who have passed away due to ethics concerns in research. And now that I'm in research, I, I'm like aware of it and it's like freaking me out, you know, because I'm just like, so none of this stuff, like these medications and these medications that we're prescribing, like these blanket. Dot, like blanket, I shouldn't say blanket, but kind of, yeah, they, but they're, they're distributing. How many of them have been researched on people of color?
1: And one of the things that even, you know, as a, a first year medical student that I learned was research trials are, you know, they have to, it, it has, to, in order for it to be ethical, they have to want to participate. And when you have years of cases of mistreatment of people of color in research, it makes it very hard for them to say, hey, I wanna volunteer myself for this study. And when you're thinking about situations like Henrietta Lacks and situations um, like you said, like Tuskegee, it's very hard for you to then turn around a few years later and convince them, hey, don't worry, we're not going to make those same mistakes all of that is in the past it's and and that's exactly what we're running into now with the with the covid trials also um people of color are not as um they're not equally represented in the people who have signed up so unfortunately the research that comes out of it is not going to properly represent us (laughs) and it's hard because then on the next note, you'll turn around and say that underrepresented communities and communities where we live should be the first to get this vaccination. But if we have been under signed up and we don't have specific numbers and specific data on us, how can we then make that recommendation? So it's, um, it's definitely a, a double speared so go off <laughs> go off you Ex- use that yeah yeah heart. it's and um i think one thing that i i've done and i've made a, a habit of doing is and it doesn't matter where i am or what situation i could be at like you know like another event or something or you know like it, it could be completely unrelated i'll i'll talk to people and i'll say like how what's your feelings on this you know And maybe people will look at me like, why is she talking about COVID right now? Or why is she? And that's because like, I really want people to know that like, there are people out here in the medical field or going into the medical field that actually do care about how your perception on the medical field. And I think that's why I just, I want people to know that like, if you feel like you can't trust another physician or if you feel like you can't like just ask questions like there are people that will go out of their way to explain them and to make sure that um they're explaining them in a way that like you're also you know like there's autonomy and you're able to kind of make an informed decision and that's so important in medicine
2: it's you know and 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 on that on that same note and you just wanting and you want wanting to talk about it and is uh, with people is, is huge because, you know, in the past, um, in the past month, we, I've had two family members pass away from COVID. Um, they are based in, was it Chicago and Ohio. And one of them, this was in a, in within seven days of each other. Right. And one of them was in her forties mm-hmm. and, you know, they had, people had been telling her, but I think hers was definitely preventable, and and people had been telling her to go see a physician. But for some reason, there's and I, like I'm guilty. My fa- like my close more nuclear family, we're guilty of this too. Just refusing to go to the doctor. Like we we will we'll take these alfalfa p- tablets. We'll like we'll do. We'll have like a hot toddy. We'll do anything to just not go to. The, we have medical insurance. We just don't want to go. And so I think. You just us talking to our in with our in our own communities i've had i've been speaking you know talking to my other um especially older black american relatives and just friends i've been talking to them a lot about being involved in research even being donors on their like driver's license um i don't want to expose my grandma she's the sweetest little thing um but she wasn't a donor on her driver's license and i remember like this is way back when i asked her was like grandma like why don't you want to be a donor and she had like this whole like distrust
0: chiming in here really quick sorry to interrupt but just to say uh rightfully so um my grandmother's distrust in medicine was not a oh it wasn't wrong i mean you know um it's really tricky the conversation i was talking about here it's it's really tricky because oh the ethical concerns in medicine and research are still uh issues they're still uh alive and well so yeah I don't know what point I was trying to make with this portion but I do think it's still relevant but I don't know what what the end game is I don't it's a difficult conversation it's a different dialogue to keep up but I think it still needs to happen along with the changes in research and medicine if that makes sense anyway let me just, let's just keep listening to this episode let's see if it makes sense later we'll find out
2: of like and she had a lot of mistrust in in medicine, and I talked to her about it. And she was like, the, the next time it came to like renew, she was all excited because she was like,
0: "I'm a donor now,
2: you know." But it's just like just talking with them, and and I, you know, it's. It, I think there's a generational the way it's affecting our communities. I think there's definitely a, gener- a generational factor to it. That's and again, that's just my my, my opinion on that. But I, I do. I can sp- speak specifically to the Black community. I do think that there's like this generational but they passed it down, right? They passed it down to us and so now I have this this mistrust. Mistreat- and I'm you know, and I'm very much involved but I just am like, Ooh, I don't know and yeah, I think talking about it is and, and ma- keeping up those conversations and keeping up the dialogue is, is vital because otherwise you just
1: you have these preventable deaths. It's very true and The hardest thing for me, because as you know, New York was hit hardest first. Um, In my community, there were students, for example, at like my old, my my alma mater, my high school that lost both parents. And this is in a school community of about 250 students. And even in that small school community, there are about 30 families that lost someone. 30 and that's and that just shows you how hard my zip code was hit and it's you know like it in the beginning when when things were just like it would I'll I'll, I can honestly say I will never forget those feelings from those first few weeks and the just the the way how everything kind of played out and then to see that like for example some of the funeral homes that are like maybe two three blocks from like my my childhood home completely like maxed out there was a whole big like in the in in my neighborhood itself there was a whole issue because the funeral homes are over accepting people and then they were storing people in in improper ways so then it was a nightmare. And you had families who were finding out that their loved ones were never buried. And um, it was just hard, it was hard. It was a very hard few months. And seeing how disproportionately communities of color have been impacted has literally just like, I mean, it, it drives me, it, 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 it gives me, it gives me the, the will to keep fighting because I know how important it is for these communities to get better care but it was so so devastating and I and for anyone listening I would hope that you do understand just how serious and just how much people have been impacted and I know for a lot of people they still haven't had anyone close to them directly impacted or they haven't lost anyone and they haven't had to kind of grieve a person that they couldn't even attend a funeral for or just they they didn't have that opportunity to to kind of grieve and go through the the notions and I would just hope that people understand that this is it's still a very real thing it's not 100 it's not over yet and i know that it's you know like right now it's a holiday weekend but a lot of people are you know they're kind of moving through their day as if things are you know things things are getting back to normal but people people are still suffering i i would just hope that yeah that people just realize that this is still a threat this is still you know and i and i don't want to scare people but we we still have to be vigilant, you know. We still have to be yeah. Um, aware. Yeah. No, scare us. I
2: think that's exactly. You know, I think we're. I think that's the issue. I think that we're not. We've become a little bit desensitized to the death, um, because, mm-hmm. like you said, we're they're not directly. They're not going through the direct emotional turmoil of it, and and that's just one thing on top of all the things going on right now. And then and and that's you know and that's honestly a perfect that's a good segue into to the mental health I'm really concerned about the mental health in these communities because I'm you know what what does it look like because you know I'm grown and this this is definitely mess you know it's it's been affecting you know my mental health and I'm I had to learn tools to manage my mental health later on in life when it became like a necessity and I had had to go through depression, anxiety, and PTSD, and, and all those things. And I had to learn these tools to, to work on mental health. And And I'm concerned for the kids who are seeing this and, you know, and they're not in school making their um, social milestones that they should be making. And, you know, and, and I will, and I will highlight in, in communities of color, I think there's, we're in a paradigm shift, I mean, you know, it's changing, but there, there's, and, and, but there's also that generational thing too, where, people are just not seeking out even if they have access to it they're not seeking they're not taking advantage of it for for whatever the reason might be and and then you have people who don't have access to it and aren't seeking it out and so that for me to be honest like that's the thing that's that's kind of making me the most nervous because i'm like ooh this is going to the long term effects of this on mental health is going to be crazy and so for you you know cuz you're you're in it i I want to ask um, if you have any tools that you've been using to just manage your mental health like is there anything that you've been doing for yourself just to
1: so one of the things that I think and this took a while to develop I'm not going to sit here like if I'm the guru and you know like this just magically I just had it all under my belt and figured out I think the biggest thing for me was trying to create a sense of normalcy where there was no promise of normalcy and trying to get into a regular routine because right now, three months from now is uncertainty. And we've never lived in a time and a situation where uncertainty has been the topic and uncertainty has been persistent. So... What I started doing is and not only I've also um, made regular sessions with fit for therapy I've made that I've built that into my my schedule because it is extremely if there is nothing else that the person listening to this right now hears me say it's that therapy is so important and giving yourself that time to, talk and discuss and to get it out i mean even if it's just you and your therapist like your you your therapist could could say like you know what say whatever you want let it out and you could sit there and say the same sentence over and over again for an hour and if it makes you feel better by the end of it it was worth it and your therapist wouldn't mind why because that's their job they literally want you to be able to open up and to be able to and I used to think that therapy had to be perfect and that I had to come in there with like this list like this checklist of like yeah. oh I'm uh I'm going to fix this today and I'm going to fix that by next week and like no that's not what it's about it's literally about just being able to open up and say like wow, this, you know, this thing happened to me, but it's connected to this other thing in my head. And I don't know if you feel that way also, but tell me if you, and that's fine. And you rambling and you just letting it out. That's what's needed. And a lot of people, you know, it's stigmatized because it's like this idea of like, oh, there's something wrong with you. If you feel like you need to, to seek mental health. And that's not even remotely true. And I think, just you know making that time building that into my schedule was extremely important but also going back to what i was saying about just having a schedule so at a certain point during the pandemic i like at a certain point earlier on in the pandemic i should say i i would sit there in like pajamas all day and i wouldn't like for for a good amount of weeks i wouldn't put on Professional clothes or real clothes. If unless I had to be on Zoom and I was only on Zoom from the half up, yep. So so I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to put on regular clothes. And you'd have to like really. And I think people are not really like thinking about that, but like you have to. You your body didn't know what was going on. Your body was probably so confused. Mm -hmm. So. At a point in time, I I had to say like, you know what? No, you need to get on a regular schedule. So I started going to sleep the same time because if not, I'm sitting here going to sleep 2 a.m. one day, 9 p.m. the other day, you know, I'm all over the place. I'm like feeling sorry for myself. I'm overeating. I'm like, no, like that cycle is just going to make things worse and And, and I just want to say that it's, if you identify with everything I just said, that's normal. You don't have to feel like, wow, like, you know, like I've been doing so horribly. Maybe you've gained weight. Maybe you've lost weight. Maybe you, you know what I'm saying? Like these, this is not, we are not in normal times. Mm -hmm. This is not a normal situation. Everyone is going to cope in the ways that they cope but the thing that's most important is like getting back to yourself and getting back on a schedule and getting back to some type of normalcy. And there's like this whole talk of like the new normal. And the new normal is perfectly fine. Is it different than the the old normal? Yes, but it's okay because you can survive this new normal. Like yes, it's going to take a little bit of adjusting and you know. So that was the that's my my biggest thing like get on a schedule Start going to bed at the same time, try to wake up around the same time, try to um, build in, even if you're working from home, try to build in like, you know what, I'm only going to work in this one particular space and this is my workspace Mm -hmm. and everything else in my house is going to function the way it functioned before. Like my kitchen is not going to become my workspace because my kitchen is my kitchen. And just making those, like, separations and making those, like, clear, like, decisions, it gives you structure. And the reason why structure feels nice is because that's how we've always lived our lives, with structure. So when you threw in the chaos of, like, hey, you know, you don't have to leave your house. You don't even have to leave your house for groceries if you don't want to. You know, it it became chaotic. And on a more serious note, you know, a lot of people who were struggling with their mental health before, like, they took an even bigger hit. And it's okay. If, if you're not back to yourself two years from now, I, like, I would be, I would be remiss if I said, like, that's a bad thing no this was uncertain times this was a situation that no one could have you know seen coming this was something that was just completely like different and it would be okay if it takes you a little bit longer than everybody else to get back to to what you determine is normal um but that's my that's my two cents
2: thank and thank you for that because I you just even you saying like that is normal that that's gonna I that's gonna hit for a lot of people because I feel like that's like the part where you're like because we can be really down on ourselves like really critical of ourselves if we not like all you know on our things and I'm just like no nah, you're good <laughs> like you're normal like you're you know, making like normalizing that we're, we're all a little uncomfortable right now. Like it's like, yeah. And just to add, you know, since you're, you're talking about therapy, I do want to say just a note um, for if, if I had tried, if you've given uh, therapy a, a chance in the past um, and it wasn't for you, ch- try, try different therapists because, because it, it may not have been a match, but something that was key to, I made the most strides, I made the most improvements in therapy. Um, And this will this will have to do with access. So I want to also say that I, I was given the option of having a asking for a physician who was trained to work with uh, POC communities and 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 black women and I just made more progress with that therapist. Um, I think it's because I was I didn't feel like I had to wear that that guard that I normally have to wear when I'm in front of When I'm in front of another doctor dealing with their biases right and that's not to say that she didn't have her biases but I I just want to I want to let people know that there are therapists out there that are are trained to work with diverse communities and I would encourage you to if you have if you can seek them out seek them out because it, it just hits different it hits a little bit different and if you know you know and Again, access. Uh, that was when I was in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> so <laughs> they had a uh, they had a lot more mental health care there, maybe because of the weather. I'm not sure. I'm back in California now, so the access is a little different. It's going to be different for everybody, but I do want to make that point because I think that would you know I've recommended that to a couple of people, and they the people I've recommended to are like you, nope, yep, <laughs> that it smacks. It hits different. So just want to make that note for listeners, and uh, yeah i really i really enjoyed speaking with you and i want to i just want to thank you for doing the work and and being and just wanting to help people i appreciate that and i i just can't understate that because i'm grateful and and i think it gives you that hope right it gives me hope and it gives me it makes me like okay like there there's we have a chance you know and there's people out there doing the work i want to thank you Personally, just for your how hard you're working and how you know how hard you work and how hard you're still working and then your willingness to share and be open and honest with me here. That's huge. It's a big ass right now. Um, with everything going on. And I recognize that and I recognize that there's this minority tax that we have having, you know, having these discussions and it's not something I take lightly. And so thank you. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: I did mention in this episode that I'm a I'm a cute little thicky and it's perfect because a childhood friend of mine, Mata, she just launched her first clothing line. It's called Curvy Girl Collections. Ooh. And I'm just so, so excited for her. It's She's a Afro-Latina. And I do want to note she identified as that before it was eh, trendy slash mm, socially acceptable slash, you know, we're going to get into that in later episodes.
2: But I do think that's important to note just because, you know, Miracle and I discussed in our previous episode the riskiness of just being like, buy black owned, buy POC owned. Because diversity is just so much more than than that and and you're not guaranteed to be buying diverse um, and supporting diversity just because you're buying from black and brown faces Um, again there's there's layers to it and
0: uh, i remember being a kid and going over to her house for slumber parties and her family was just so so warm and welcoming and she knew what she was about from the get-go she didn't try to perpetrate and that's something to really be appreciated And, uh, she's also, she also does makeup seminars. Um, I don't, I don't know if she's doing them right now. She's doing a lot of stuff. She's really busy. Um, but I'll leave a link to her business page. And so I'm sure you can get the deets on there. She does beautiful makeup. I'm always excited to see my friends win and working hard and that's what she's been doing. So if you guys can show some support, uh, that'd be really appreciated. All right. So with that, Let's get into this meditation. I'm so ready for it. It's just a, you know, self-care Sunday. I love self-care Sundays, you guys. I love them so much. All right, let's get into it. Hey, thanks for sticking around for the guided meditation portion of this episode. Really quick, I want to say that while I do choose guided meditation as a primary relaxation technique for this podcast, There are so many other relaxation techniques out there, and I do encourage you to go out there and find the one that's the best fit for you. Guided meditations are not for everybody, so um, if guided meditations are not for you, maybe take this time to do something else that helps you wind down. I will say, if you are just starting off on your meditation routine and you want to get one established, now I'm not a medical professional, so I can't give any advice, obviously, but Um, I can speak personally, uh, especially in the beginning, if you are prone to rumination, maybe stick with uh, guided or instructed meditation just because um, otherwise you can sit there for however long and sit there ruminating instead of meditating and end up doing more harm than good so that's just my little disclaimer here i i do want to incorporate other techniques in the future but again guided meditations are just you know really good for audio i feel like they're they're uh the one best the one i can do most easily (laughs) to be honest with you so yeah that's why i've been sticking with these but definitely go out there and, and look for some that work better for you. There's Zen tangles, gardening, word searches, just anything mindful that helps you kind of unplug and unwind. So with that, let me get into our guided visualization meditation. Visualization. Visualization? If you say it slow, it's hard to say. Anyhow, it's a guided visualization uh, meditation for you guys today. We're going into the forest. We're going to go out in nature since most of us are in quarantine and maybe can't access nature. Let's go there in our minds. All right. I want you to begin by finding a comfortable position sitting or lying down and allow your body to begin to relax as you start to create a picture in your mind. Let the forest visualization begin. Imagine yourself walking on a path through a forest. The path is soft beneath your shoes, a mixture of soil, fallen leaves, pine needles, and moss. As you walk, Your body relaxes and your mind clears more and more with each step you take. Breathe in the fresh mountain air, feeling your lungs completely. Now exhale, breathe out all the air, feeling refreshed. Take another deep breath in, Revitalizing and breathe out completely. Letting your body relax even further. Continue to breathe slowly and deeply as you walk through the forest and continue the visualization. The air is cool but comfortable. Sun filters through the trees making a moving, dappled pattern on the ground before you. Listen to the sounds of the forest. Birds singing. A gentle breeze blowing. The leaves on the trees shift and sway in the soft wind. Your body relaxes more and more as you walk. Count your steps and breathe in unison with your strides. Breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, exhale, two, three, four, five. Breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three. Exhale two, three, four. Continue to breathe like this slowly and deeply as you become more and more relaxed. As you walk through the forest. Feel your muscles relaxing and lengthening. As your arms swing in rhythm with your walking, they become loose, relaxed, and limp. Feel your back relaxing as your spine lengthens and the muscles relax. feel the tension leaving your body as you admire the scenery around you. Your legs and lower body relax as well, feeling free and relaxed. As you continue to walk through the forest, you begin to climb up a slight incline. You easily tread along smooth rocks in the path, feeling at one with nature. The breeze continues to blow through the treetops, but you are sheltered on the path and the air around you is calm. Small saplings grow at the sides of the path. Around you is an immense array of greens. Some of the leaves on the trees are a delicate, light green. Some leaves are deep, dark, true forest green. Many trees have needles that look very soft and very green. The forest floor is thick, green moss. Tall trees grow on either side of the path. Picture the variety of trees around you. Some have smooth white bark. Others are darker with coarse, heavy bark, deeply grooved. Enjoy the colors of the bark on the trees. White, tan, brown, red, black, many combinations of color. You admire the rough brown bark on the pine trees and enjoy the fresh pine scent Smell the forest around you. The air is fresh and filled with the scent of trees, soil, and mountain streams. You can hear the sound of water faintly in the distance, the gentle burbling sound of the creek. As you continue to walk through the forest, you are gaining elevation and getting closer to the sound of a running stream. Continue to enjoy the forest around you, Now imagine yourself walking toward the clearing in the stream, stepping stones, making an easy path across the stream and towards the edge of the mountain. Step on each large, flat stone to easily cross the small, shallow stream. The clearing around you is made up of rocks, soil, pine needles, moss, and grass. The grass and mountain flowers around you blow gently in the breeze. A deer quietly emerges from the edge of the forest to gaze in the clearing. As a deer raises its head to look at you, you can see its nostrils moving to catch your scent. The deer cautiously walks the stream to drink before disappearing back into the forest. Squirrels dart in and out of sight and romp to the trees and race across the clearing. Feel the sun warming your body as you relax and enjoy the majestic landscape around you. You feel your body relaxing even more. Your body becomes very warm and very heavy. Continue to breathe the clean, fresh air. You feel so relaxed, calm, at peace, in unity with nature around you. Feel the sun warm on your skin, feel the gentle breeze blow across your cheek, hear the stream flowing, see the flowers, trees, valley, and mountains around you, enjoy this peaceful place. when you're ready, slowly begin to reawaken your body and just know that you can return to this visualization in your imagination whenever you like. As you reawaken, keep with you the feeling of calm, peace and relaxation. Wiggle your fingers and your toes. Wake up those muscles. Shrug your shoulders, stretch if you want. And when you're ready, open your eyes and return to full wakefulness, feeling alert and refreshed.